turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We're in a section of Ephesians that talks about uh, living the Christian life and, and the change that has come to these Ephesians, uh, e exhorting them to no longer live the old life uh, like they did, uh, like, like the world around them does, and exhorting them to put on the new self, the new uh, being a new creature in Christ and, and, and demonstrating that in their, their actions, in the way that they live their lives. And we get uh, further instruction today, uh, particularly verse 18, about being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to explore what that means. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and, and inerrant word. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. Well, before us, especially in verse 18, we have two commands which at first glance would seem to have nothing to do with one another. Uh, first, do not get drunk with wine. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, we understand what that means, and everyone has witnessed a drunk person, uh, at least on television. Uh, the second command, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this second command is a little more difficult to understand, especially... Uh, with all the confusion in the broader church that uh, we know about. Uh, we have to answer the question this morning, what does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? And depending on which church you ask, which denomination you ask, you'll get a different uh, answer to that question. Well, we want to get a biblical answer to that question, and that's the most important thing this morning as we uh, begin dissecting this. Now, as we begin to, to pick this apart a little bit, that we, we need to... Uh, first, notice that there is one word in this sentence that really makes a difference. And that word is but. And you wouldn't have thought that was such an important word, but it is. And I think it helps us to understand what Paul is actually saying in this, in this sentence. Paul does not say, do not be drunk with wine and be filled with the Spirit. Rather, he says, do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. Now this links these two commands together as if they are two alternatives. And of course, they are two alternatives. One can be drunk with wine or one can be filled with the Spirit. You, you can't be both. But I believe that the stress is on be filled with the Spirit and the command to not be drunk is really an illustration. It's helping us to understand what being filled with the Spirit means. Now, of course, uh, it is wrong to be drunk. I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't pay attention to that. But Paul could have put several other commands there and he would be making the same point. This is not necessarily just the command to not be drunk on wine. Uh, I'll, try, I'll explain it and then you'll understand, hopefully, what I'm talking about. The question here has to do with what controls your life. The person who is drunk with wine is obviously controlled by wine. For example, we, uh, we talk about uh, someone who gets arrested 
for drunk driving. They get a DUI. They were driving under the influence. They were under the influence of alcohol. Uh, when someone is filled with alcohol, there's a point where the alcohol takes over and the person is no longer in control. They are under the influence, uh, under the power, under the control of the alcohol. They can't even control their bodies if they've had enough uh, alcohol. They fall down and stumble and slur their words. Paul says in here that it's debauchery. Do not be drunk with wine because it's debauchery. Now, that word is not one that we use a lot in our day and time. Uh, we're not throwing around the word debauchery much in our day, possibly because people like debauchery in our day so much, and they don't want to call it debauchery. They call it a good bit of fun. Well, the word means uh, behavior which shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of an action. It's, it's recklessness, reckless deeds, and in this case, uh, it's what one does without being able to think about it or what one does when the mind is absent. So being drunk means you're not thinking clearly, obviously, and you're under the control of the alcohol, and so it's debauchery. You're reckless. You don't know what you're doing. You make bad decisions when you're drunk. Paul says, do not be filled with wine. Do not be drunk with wine or do not be filled with wine, but rather be filled with something else. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not be under the influence of wine, rather be under the influence of the Spirit. Don't let wine dictate your actions. Let the Spirit dictate your actions. That's the crux of what he's saying. So, you see, he could have used other things besides wine there, being drunk or controlled with wine. The point is to not let created things or heart idols control your life, control your decisions, control your actions. Let the Lord be in control of, of your life. Now, just a few examples of things, other things besides the Spirit and besides alcohol that can fill and control your life. Um, think, for example... Uh, of someone who is filled with bitterness. You know, their life is filled with bitterness and resentment. Have you ever met someone who was just bitter and their entire life is controlled by that resentment and bitterness, maybe to someone, maybe towards God? But everything about them is controlled by that bitterness. Or, another example, uh, you know, when we talk about someone who is self-centered, we say, well, he's full of himself. You know, he is filled with himself. He's filled with thoughts of himself. He's completely consumed with himself. And the topic of conversation has to be revolving around him and his problems or successes. Uh, unless someone's talking about him, he's not interested at all. Every element of his life is self-directed and self-motivated. The question is, how did they get that way? Well, obviously, that person makes himself that way by focusing his thoughts and desires upon himself. He's filled with himself, and so that controls his life. That dictates uh, the way that he behaves, the things that he says. Rebecca Pepper, and I've given you this quote in the outline, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, 
says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. So we're talking here about what controls our lives. And Paul is stressing to us that we should be filled or controlled, directed by the Spirit and not by anything else, especially not wine, uh, nor bitterness, nor selfishness, nor any other created thing or heart idol. Now let's dive into this, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and He lives in believers. Paul has already told the Ephesians, if you want to flip back to chapter 1, verse 13, He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, so when they became Christians, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, uh, we understand what that word means, uh, a guarantee. Uh, Some translations might have a deposit. Um, You put a deposit down, on an, on an apartment, for example, uh, that guarantees to the, to the people who are renting it to you that you are indeed going to live there and you're going to pay, uh, pay your rent. The Spirit is a deposit. It's a guarantee. Um, but don't think of it, you know, when we, we think of a deposit, often monetary deposit, we think of it as less than the full amount, right? You know, we're just putting a little bit down uh, in order to guarantee it. But that's not the way it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit giving us God. God comes to live with us. And that guarantee, the Spirit living in us, God living in us, is guaranteeing that we will one day live with Him. So He's guaranteeing our inheritance. And what is our inheritance? It's the new heavens and new earth. It's to be with Him forever, face to face, in His presence. So the Spirit is a deposit. It's a guarantee we have the fullness of God. If you, if you flip over to chapter 3, Paul prays for the Ephesians, and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and he, he says several things, and if you get down to the end of 16, uh, that you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So the Spirit is in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So He's, he's living there in you. And then verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So God is dwelling in the believer. And when you, when you are converted, like these Ephesians, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with God. And to be filled with God means that we are under his influence, under his control. And the Bible is filled with examples of people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And I won't go into all those uh, since we don't have a whole lot of time this morning. And I can give you a whole list uh, if you want it. But there's there's all kinds of examples of people who were full of the Holy Spirit. It might have been uh, referring to a temporary thing where they, uh, a person for a specific task, was full of the Holy Spirit. Like uh, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, preached the word powerfully. You know, he was particularly under control of God, and he was proclaiming the word with power. 
Uh, the deacons, we'll talk about them in a, in a minute. The first deacons in Acts 6 were, they were chosen because they were men full of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. Uh, so let's clarify the teaching since we're here. What does this really mean? And, and let's fight through some of the confusion that's out there about the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of confusion out there. About, and, and probably some of you are going, wow, what is this filling with the Holy Spirit? That's kind of weird. And uh, you've seen some weirdness out there if you've been around Christian circles, the broader Christian circles. There are some weird things going around in the name of the Holy Spirit. Well, the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit is often thought of as a quantitative phrase describing how much of the Holy Spirit a person happens to possess. Uh, I read about uh, one person who said, I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit because I leak. Now, in other words, he believed that he used the Holy Spirit up like a, like a car uses up gasoline. Yesterday at the work day, which I want to say thank you to, we had a, a good turnout for the last two Saturdays uh, cleaning up around here on the grounds, and hopefully you, you uh, came in and noticed the fruits of our labor. Uh, but... Uh, I got a pump because we have a wheelbarrow out there and the tire was flat. So I was like, oh, I got a pump. I just bought a new pump and I'm going to try that thing out and see if we can't get this wheelbarrow operational. So I pumped up the tire. It was nice and hard for about five minutes and then it was flat again. So obviously it was leaking and had a hole in it. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't leak out of people like that. Uh, he's not gas or air. Now, some people think of being filled with the Holy Spirit as an experience or event communicated by prayer and the laying on of hands. Uh, you know, it's, it's been said that, you know, you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit, but you need to have a, a second experience, uh, which some people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me just say three things. First, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some ephemeral, nebulous force that is somehow able to leak out of us, like I said before. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive a person. Uh, not part of a person, the whole person lives in you. And therefore, when the Bible speaks of being filled with or full of the Holy Spirit, it's a qualitative statement, not a quantitative statement. It defines the quality of your life, not a quantitative statement defining the amount of the Spirit you possess. It's better to say that being filled with the Spirit uh, is not that you need more of the Spirit. Rather, being filled with the Spirit means the Spirit has more of you. See, there's a difference there. It's not having more of the Spirit. It's the, this yielding, this, yielding yourself to the Spirit, yielding yourself to God and what He would have you do and how He would have you live to listen to him, to let the word of, of God dwell in you richly, which we'll talk about in a moment. So to be filled with the Spirit is a qualitative thing, not a quantitative thing. Now, uh, every person in the Bible that we see, uh, some are more full of the Spirit than others. As I mentioned, the deacons in Acts chapter 6, they were said to be men full of the Holy Spirit. They, they surveyed the church, they needed to have some deacons, and they picked out some people who were particularly full of the Spirit. And they were referring to the, their lives, what marked their lives. Uh, other people were Christians. 
It's just that these people were particularly holy, were particularly gracious and merciful, I would say, specifically because of the calling to be deacons. So the variable was not based on whether a person was a deacon or not, was, was not based on lacking something from God. They all had the Spirit. But it was a result of their Christian growth and maturity and learning how to, as we just read earlier and been studying, how to put off the old sinful nature and to put on the new, uh, new life in Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. These were men, deacons, who were filled with the Spirit. Their life, their conversation, their actions, their attitudes manifested the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, and not the works of the flesh. They didn't live as the Gentiles did, like it says here uh, at the beginning in chapter 4. They lived the new life out in their lives, and they were more under the control of the Holy Spirit. They were doing what the Spirit desired and not what the flesh desired. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do we get filled with the Spirit? Well, there's a parallel passage in Colossians 3. And the letter to the Colossians is very similar to the letter to the Ephesians. And, you know, we've just read Ephesians 5.18, but listen to this from, from Colossians 3. And I think I may have given it to you in the outline. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. And of course, if I continue to read the Ephesians passage that, we just, that we're studying today, you see that the next phrase is about husbands and wives or the next section is about husbands and wives. So many similarities, but whereas Paul tells the Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he tells the Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I think those are synonyms. Uh, He's not perfect synonyms, obviously, because he's talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and he's talking about the word of God. But I think if you are wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit, one way that you can go about being filled with the Spirit is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, to listen to it, to meditate upon it, to put it into practice in your life. That would be one way that we can come under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. See, If we drink a lot of wine, if we fill ourselves with wine, we're going to get drunk. If we fill ourselves with God's Word, if we keep putting it in there and meditating upon it and turning it over in our minds and putting it into practice, our lives are going to be marked by being filled with the Holy Spirit, by holiness, by godliness. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And of course that takes us back to what, uh, what Paul's saying in this section. Put off the old man, put on the new man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How, do you, how can you be renewed in the spirit of your mind? Well, you have to Learn a new way of thinking, the way that God wants you to think, uh, to, to, to hear his truth, to embrace his truth, and to, to think about it and to see it as truth and to say, yes, that's the way I'm, I'm going to believe what God tells me. I'm going to go with the way he wants me to go, and I'm going to trust that. That will make you be filled with the Spirit. You're yielding yourself up to God and to have his fullness. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit.
Now, what does it look like? He tells us four different things. Addressing one another uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, We're encouraging one another, mutually exhorting one another. I think it's uh, important that he points to the psalms. You know, the psalms have every range of human emotion there. You've got people who are wondering if God has abandoned them. You've got people who are at the heights of joy in the Lord. And every range of emotion in between, it's all there. And so when we think about how can I encourage somebody, well, whatever they're going through, the Psalms is going to have it. It's going to be there. And you can uh, see what the Word says about that difficulty, that trouble, uh, that joy, that happiness, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And then secondly, he says singing, uh, uh, singing and making heart music to God, making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is whole-souled, God-centered devotion. You know, there's often a song playing in my head, but what's the song playing in my heart? You know, who am I singing to? Who am I delighting in? Where's my joy? And he's saying, a person who is filled with the Spirit not only uh, encourages others, but has heart worship to God, is devoted to God. The person who is filled with the Spirit is, is also a thankful person. They give thanks to God, verse 20, always and for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the person who is filled with the Spirit is recognizing that everything they have is a gift from God. And they're remembering that. They're living in that. And it's, it's made them uh, grateful thankful people and they live lives of gratitude for what the Lord has done for them and then fourthly the person who is filled with the spirit uh, submits to one another um, self-denying Christ revering uh, serving the other for mutual edification it's not about them they're not full of themselves they're full of God They're, they're full of love for other people and they want to serve others I think that's why the deacons needed to be people who were filled with the Holy Spirit because their calling was to serve others, especially those widows and, and orphans in the early church. Irreligion, uh, no religion, is selfish and prideful, and, and religion is prideful as well. And we need to, to, to cling to the gospel, uh, not to religion or irreligion. Religion says, I'm going to do this to get God. Well, Christ came, and what we're looking at at the table is his sacrifice on our behalf, his being unselfish for us, laying down his life for us so that we could have this relationship with him. So we're not talking about a list of to-dos. We're talking about remembering Christ, embracing Christ, having him in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and coming under his influence in our lives more and more. And one last thing. This is not... And we're talking about who controls your life. Uh, You know, we want God to control us. And this is not uh, some sort of despotic lording it over our lives. No, the Lord loves us. Uh, When we encounter his love, we yield uh, ourselves up to a superior love. And Rebecca Pippert in Out of the Salt Shaker, again, I've given you this quote, Summarizing God's purpose for human beings, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that, they were, that we are created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God created us for Himself. If we are living with any sinner other than Jesus, we will be living incompletely. 
So Jesus continually tries to help people see who or what controls them. That is why Jesus is far more interested in people's lives than in their God talk. Your life, more than your words, will reveal what really controls you. So that's the question for today. What controls you? What influences your life, your decisions, your thinking? Is it God's word? Is it dwelling within you? Dwelling richly within you? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? To not be so is to be controlled by something else. And anything else that we're controlled by is going to be despotic. Uh, to throw off the yoke, to throw off Christ, is not to, to trade a Lord for freedom. It's actually to trade a gracious, loving Lord for a very tyrannous, despotic Lord that will destroy your life. And that's the case with whatever it is that we worship in the place of God because we were created to worship God and to have him first in our lives. Paul told the Galatians, For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray together.